Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. You know, we're, we started this series called Marked just last week, and we're in the gospel of Mark. And then as I was pulling things together today, I was thinking, I'm not even going to be reading from the gospel of Mark, so maybe I should change the name of the series, but I'm not going to because it's already in print, so we're going with Mark. But I am going to share with you a little bit about a fella who actually is the author of Mark, a guy named John Mark. Say John Mark with me. John Mark. Okay. So, but before we get to talking about him, one of the things as followers of Jesus that I believe we're to be marked by, last week I talked about being marked by authority and how Jesus functioned in authority. And an, another thing that we as followers need to be marked by is marked by learning. How many of you enjoy learning stuff? Oh, a pretty good number of us. That's great. Well, I hope you have your pens and papers handy today because you might learn something today. And uh, so just be ready. I get dangerously close. I see some of you go like, it's all good. (laughs) With my body type, I could do a face plant and come right back up here. You remember those wobbles weeble, but they don't fall down things? You remember those things? If you're under 50, you have no idea what I'm talking about probably. That's Tom. Just punch him in the nose and he'll bounce right back up. Anyhow, um, you know, God has given many of us, I guess, a faith and praise his name, a faith to believe the biblical narrative. We don't even question it. And, And that's fantastic. But some of us, maybe even here today or some listening to the podcast or at different times, people will come and go from the life of a church and, um, They do have uncertainty. In fact, in today's culture, I say today's, but probably the last 20 years, there's been this, it's been kind of socially um, hip. And again, if you're under 50, you don't know what that word means. All right. (laughs) It's been socially cool to explore atheism or other kind of world religions and in a way kind of push back since we're in post-Christian America, push back on the things of God in the church and the validity of scripture. You're actually considered somewhat noble if you were anti-church, anti-God, and anti-Bible. But as I think about reading through the Gospel of Mark, which I'd encourage you to do that, I think I'm going to, if I still have a job after I'm gone for a couple weeks, um, I'm going to continue preaching the series. But, and so we're going to stay in Mark. But I do want to share a couple of things um, to emphasize, and I hope it isn't like redundant or something too re- routine for you, but to emphasize um, the reliability, the viability, the importance of the Gospels. Now, the entirety of the Word of God is important, but I'm just talking about uh, the reliability of the Gospels. And one thing I'd like to make a plug for God's Word. I followed Jesus for a lot of years, and there's been stretches in my life where I was deeply passionate about reading God's Holy Word, but there's been other stretches in my life where it was kind of like work. You know what I'm saying? 
But when you think about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and what's contained in the Gospels, it seems like we ought to approach God's Word the minute we get a chance to open it and read it and dive in and be filled by it, that we ought to do that willingly. The problem is we're human and we're selfish with our time. Okay. I saw some heads bobbing until I said we were selfish, and then I was like, mm-mm. Anyhow, I'd, I'd like to share a few things that's pretty common knowledge, but I want to reemphasize it. And then after we do this, I want to talk a little bit about John Mark's journey, which is not going to be in the, go- in the Gospel of Mark. It's just a weird day. So anyhow, uh, first thing I'd like to share with you that we can be confident that the Gospels are reliable. If you wrestle with any level of doubt, there's four things I'm going to share with you. And these are kind of concrete and factual. The Gospels are reliable because of their age. In fact, a closer an extant manuscript, an existing manuscript is, to the events that it is recording, recorded, the more certain that it is to be reliable and accurate. In fact, all four Gospels are written within 90 years of Christ's life. Now, for those of us that live this mortal life, and we may have 90 years, we might have 60, we might have 100, who knows? We think, whoa, that's a long way from the original events. It is not in the least bit a long way from the original events. I don't know about you, there are certain gospel writers that I get more excited to read than others. John Mark writes so fast and he jumps from one event to the next to the next to the next I get exhausted reading but I love reading Luke in fact this is what Luke says about the gospels Luke 1 verse 1 many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Another verification in the words of Dr. Luke that the Gospels are reliable because of their Age. It's not disadvantageous, it's advantageous, the age of the extant manuscripts. The gospel is also reliable because of their sheer number. Now, there are countless philosophical writers uh, who might have like seven or eight or ten or fifteen manuscripts or parts of manuscripts that still exist that support the authenticity and the reliability of the original work. Fascinating. Uh, Many of us have read some of those things. Anybody ever heard of Homer's Iliad? Yeah, look at all you brainiacs out there. That's fantastic. Anyhow, it's got like a few uh, pieces of material that actually support the authenticity of the original work. So just as a point of reference, the more copies that exist, the easier it is to actually learn and discern what the original text said. 
Because there are uh, nuances of change when they're passed on. So Homer's Iliad is considered to be like the model, as it were, of ancient literature that is verifiable by the copies that still exist. I mean, it's less than a dozen. The Gospels. You've probably heard this before, but I'm trying to build it up because it's so cool. The Gospels, to date, somewhere around 25,000 documents that point to the original. Just the sheer number is mind-blowing, and with all those various numbers, they can determine what the original text said. It's fascinating to me. So the number test certainly supports gospel reliability, the age and the number. The third thing is this, because of their accuracy, they can be trusted. Now there's some grammatical errors. In fact, critics of the gospels would say, well, there's some grammar errors, there's some punctuational errors, there's even a wrong interpretation of certain word errors. And they get all excited about that particular thing. But the fact of the matter is that textual criticism takes all those things into account and looks at all 25,000 documents to determine which is most accurate. And that's the word of God that we have today. Again, not only is it a privilege to be in God's holy word, but when we realize how God preserved it for us, I would think that would stir us and spur us to be in his word as frequently as possible. So the gospel can be trusted, or the gospels, as reliable because of their age, the number, and accuracy. And another thing that people don't talk about often that I think is very valid is they can be trusted because of their honesty. How many of you would agree that we live in a Photoshop airbrush culture? Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, of course we do. How many of you would be willing to be honest enough to say that you actually kind of Photoshop your life a little bit? It's like, we got to make sure that our image is just so, so that we'll fit in or that we'll be accepted or whatever the case might be. It's just not that way with the gospel writers. There's no literary Photoshopping that takes place. There's nothing. I think about in the Gospel of Mark, which if I haven't told you already, we're not going to be reading from that today in our series called Marked. But, you know, Jesus himself, uh, Mark's written to Gentiles, and Jesus himself is talking to a Gentile lady, and he calls her a dog. Now I'm thinking, if I'm writing this thing, I'm going to do a little editing right there. You know, I'm going to soften it a little bit. I'm going to Photoshop the raw reality of how Jesus interacts with humanity because Photoshopping and perception is really everything, is it not? See, the honesty, and that is not how to win friends and influence people. You dog. We can't even pull that off today. We can't. But it's just so raw. I love it. The Gospels are reliable because of their age, the number of manuscripts, 
literary accuracy and because of their honesty. Here's another thing that I find fascinating about the Gospels. Okay, some traditions give sainthood to some of the gospel people and the cool people, and that's fine. But the guys that I read about in the Bible that I read, they are not very cool. They're not. James and John, brothers, okay. You know what they do? Right after Jesus teaches about humility, James and John decide to ask mommy to ask jesus can my son sit at your right hand when you enter your kingdom? Who does that stuff? Messed up, broken people. Now, can anybody in this room identify with being messed up and broken, but saved by the blood of the lamb? I thank God for that. But there's, they don't pull any punches. There's no, like, airbrushing. It's just non-existent. Okay. So, we are in a series called Mark, and I do want to talk about Mark, or John Mark, or John, because he's actually referred to by three names, which is a real bummer with having two first names as your first, it's just weird. So, John Mark, um, he was, uh, he writes the Gospel of Mark, it's the earliest one that was written, and John Mark is actually an interpreter for Peter and Peter's journeys with Jesus. And Mark was fluent in Aramaic and Greek, and Peter was kind of limited in his knowledge of Greek. So the gospel bears his name, but it was really, as he wrote it, it was really the life encounters of Jesus with the culture and Peter. And Peter kind of downloaded with Mark, and that's kind of how that all came together. And you're probably going, why did I even need to know that? I said, because it's true, that's why I'm sharing it with you. It's just cool to know things like that. So Mark, as I was mentioning, it just moved so fast for me. You know, he was here, and he was here, and he was over there, and Jesus did this, and then he did that, and it's just like, brrr, he goes through it. And I'm really slow, and, and I think I've told you before that I'm boring. You can ask Pam. I'm slow, and I'm boring. It's a great combination. <laughs> but... But Mark writes so fast, it's like, anybody do Instagram? Is that the right word for it, Instagram? Let me see your hand. Okay, yeah, there's some Instagrammers here. Okay, don't you like post stuff on there like pictures and then mini phrases that just are like bullet points of how your life is moving along? That's how, am I right or am I talking about some other formula here? Somebody say I'm right. Okay, thank you. That's how Mark writes. It's just boom, 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 boom. And here's the deal, though. I want to share a few things uh, that we can learn from the story of Mark's life. Not the gospel, because I'm actually going to be reading a different part of God's holy word. But the story of Mark's life. And it's foundational, not only for our time together today, but also a greater grasp and understanding of the gospels in their entirety, but also the the gospel of Mark. Okay, say John Mark with me. John Mark. Say John with me. John. Say Mark with me. Mark. Okay, now try. if you can track with me, this actually gets a little bit confusing. But the first point I'd like to make is this. About kingdom living. Sometimes good people make poor 
choices. Sometimes good people make poor choices. I won't ask any of you to be vulnerable, but uh, despite the fact that I'm not particularly good, I can tell you to the degree that I am good, I've made poor choices. So there you go. I'll just be vulnerable for all of us. Maybe some people in here have done something egregious that you regret, something that you shouldn't have, something that as you think of it, is there's a little bit of shame attached to it. Maybe you quit on someone, a job, a person, a friendship, or a marriage. Maybe you find yourself marked or labeled. I'm not going to ask you to say what those labels are, but I do know what it feels like to be labeled. Oh, you're just hashtag whatever. She's a quitter. He's an adulterer. She's a liar. Well, there may be an element of truth to some of the labels that people put on us or we put upon ourselves, but the problem with that is as soon as we ask Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins, to become our Lord and Savior, those hashtags, those labels, those titles are supposed to go away, but we hang on to them sometimes, don't we? Because the word that I read says not only John Mark, but you and I are children of the Most High God and that we're formed and fashioned into the image of Jesus and we bear the character of God himself. Is that the craziest twist in a story ever? It's such a great blessing. But some moment in time, you made a heinous mistake or sinned and ever since you've been marked, you've been labeled. And some of you would say, well, what does that have to do with the mark we're talking about? I'm glad I asked for you. <clears throat> so the first time that we actually hear about John Mark, Mark, or John, is in Acts 13, verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them, John left them to return to Jerusalem. This is Mark. This is John Mark. Not John, the gospel writer, guy, disciple. Okay, so do you see how it gets a little bit confusing? But here's the deal. Paul, uh, you know, the great missionary and church planter and pillar of uh, the early church, is in partnership with a guy named Barnabas. Uh, I love that name, Barnabas, but I love what that name means. You know, he was actually, his given name was Joseph. I don't know if you know that. But he was given the name Barnabas because all he did, all the time, was encourage people. The son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Daughter of encouragement. That's what I want to be. I want to be a son of encouragement. So anyhow, John Mark comes along, I'm sure, with great enthusiasm and energy and youthfulness uh, because that's what young people do. At least people that are my age think that's what young people do. They got energy. They may lack a little bit of maturity and they might need some developing, but you risk and you invest in them. And then at a very key time, John Mark quits 
He leaves the team. He bails on his comrades. Now, I'm from the generation where it just said, uh, you're not going to quit. You quit, we have a problem. You want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. You know, all that kind of old <laughs> damaging stuff that took place. But Paul is really ticked off. And if you read not only chapter 13, but 14 and 15, we're going to read some of 15 here in just a minute. I mean, think, I'm, Paul's mad. He's extremely irritated. So John Mark's place in Scripture is marked by quitting, marked by failure. Anybody ever felt that way because of some of the dumb stuff you did in your past or the sinful things? I mean, I know I have. So John Mark, he is marked by failure. But I just, I just don't think he's a bad guy, which supports our first truth that we learn about his life is sometimes good people make poor choices. Now, if you're one of those that's made a poor choice and you have a label and all that kind of thing, I challenge you, not only take it to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and receive it, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. It's just bondage. It's weighty. It's, it's shrouded in shame. The second thing we see in John Mark's life is this, and it gives me great hope. God factors in even our poor choices for his glory. Now, I'm not saying let's go out and make a bunch of bad decisions and poor choices so that grace may abound. That's not what I'm saying. But if we genuinely are desiring to follow the Lord and we make some mistakes along the way, God's plans are not so fragile that we, his creation, are actually going to screw it up because we're doing dumb things. But when we repent and receive healing and forgiveness, then those things are redeemed to actually bring glory to God. That's crazy to me. Bring him glory. Well, anyhow, John Mark's choice caused great conflict between two um, really powerful early church leaders. I mean, these were the heavy hitters of the early church. And because of John Mark's choices, this is what goes down in Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. <clears throat> Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Seems very pastoral and shepherding. That's great. Barnabas, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. We got the John Mark guy again, John Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him. Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Now, you can't read this in here, but I've seen two strong leaders go at it before. And this is pretty pleasantly written. <laughs> I don't, I don't think anybody pulled up and threw a punch. I'm not saying that took place, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Paul was a, was a pretty uh, type A type, 
a guy, you know, and Barnabas was an encourager, and he's probably going, I'm just fed up with you, Paul. You're such a knucklehead. Anyhow, <laughs> so this all goes down, and uh, so for whatever reason, John Mark's choice caused a split in this church-planting evangelistic team. Oh, my goodness, the early church is in trouble. God didn't see this coming. And there's absolutely no way that these two used-to-be godly people are going to do anything good for God in the future. This is a mess. So Paul, I can see Paul. I can hear him. I I can, because I can see him saying to Barnabas, look, John Mark... He is a loser. He's not coming. I don't want him on my team. Keep him away from me. And then you got the son of encouragement. I don't know, Paul. He's young. He's got all this potential. I believe in him. Now, I admire the apostle Paul. I really do. Don't misunderstand me. But when I'm dead and gone, I hope there's a few people that said, man, he was always encouraging me. That's the kind of person I want. That's a challenge I put before you that you would long to be that kind of person. Now, we've seen, I'm sure you have, uh, people part ways. Business partners, anybody see a business partnership go south before? Those are not only expensive financially, but they are emotionally. It's just, it's really jacked up. That's bad. And then marriages, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but we've had marriages dissolve or friendships blow up. And if you haven't experienced that yet, I assure you, you'll probably see that in your journey in life at some point. And if it happens, I have three things to share with you. Number one, do not trash talk the other. Just don't do it. It serves no value or purpose except for our own sinful desires. The second thing I would challenge you with is don't write them off. And the third thing is this. Do ask God to use them. That's a tough one. Been there, done that, failed at it before. Do ask God to use them. Anyhow, the meltdown didn't throw God off track. And you know, if you really want to look at it, and maybe this is seeing a glass half full. Finally in my life, I see a glass half full instead of half empty. But there was one team, and then there's this little hissy fit that happens. Now there's two teams. Two teams moving the gospel forward. Now we hear more about Paul, but Barnabas, I'm sure, had... uh, some effectiveness in uh, working with um, uh, the Spirit of God in building the Lord's kingdom. Hang on. I got off over here, and I have to get back here. Oh, so, so I don't understand, though. Some people, like, get enthralled in, okay, who was right? Who was wrong? Was this part of God's will? Was this Satan's work? Here's the thing. I don't know why we would spend time trying to figure that out. This is kind of what I would like for us to see at this point in the story. That God 
factors in to his bigger picture, bigger plan, building the kingdom, even our missteps. It's just the way our God is. Good people make bad choices on occasion. And God rewrites their story for his glory. Now explain that. That's what we ought to focus on, the redemptive power of God, not who's right and who's wrong, because people that are passionate about being right are people that don't realize how much pain they inflict on others. Being right is overrated. Being right with God is underrated. And being a Barnabas to others, a person of encouragement, is underrated. Maybe once we get really good at that, we can work on trying to be right. The third point that I'd like to make from the life of John Mark is this, and I love it, and I hope that it speaks life and hope to some here today. Just because you blew it before, just because you blew it before, doesn't mean you can't have a great ending to your story. Oh, really? Oh, it's true. And if you think you're having a good story because you're good, you're missing the point. Any good story in our lives is because he's good and we're kind of along for the ride. In fact, as we read on in some of Paul's later years, Paul's imprisoned in Rome, and he is about to be executed. And he writes a letter to another young leader named Timothy. And in 2 Timothy uh, 4, verse 11, Paul pens these words. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Guess who this guy? Guess who this Mark is? John Mark, the one he hated, the one that was a loser. Hashtag, I'm a failure. He wants that, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Are you kidding me? What, I mean, something happened in John Mark's life story. Now Paul is asking for, he's pleading for the very one that he rejected. He's pleading for the dude who is marked by Failure. Is that not a picture of God's grace? So, we do know this about John Mark, Mark, or John. We do know this about him, that he writes the earliest gospel from Peter's viewpoint. And God didn't let John Mark's mistake define John Mark's life. Why do we do that? We do it to ourselves. We certainly do it to others. Oh, yeah, you're a dope smoking, over drinking, prostitute, and whatever. Why do we hang on to that? How about you're a child of the Most High God, and He can write a story in your life that nobody is going to believe? Nobody. Hear me clearly, church. Mistakes can either define us or by God's grace, they refine us. I want to be refined. 
because I'm pretty impure. But I don't want to make mistakes intentionally, that's for sure. Gosh, this should inspire us. John Mark goes from hashtag marked by failure to hashtag marked by grace. Tom Fox, that's my name. Tom M. Fox. Born 18, no, born 1957. <laughs> and I've worn all kinds of labels, but one that fits me is really marked by a failure. Let me add another one marked by promiscuity. Let me add another one marked by drug use. The list goes on and on and on. And then a Barnabas type invited me to go to church. And the preacher's name was Denny Davis. None of you know the guy. What a great preacher. I have no idea what he said that day, but I know that Jesus touched that girl's heart and my heart, and we responded to the gospel. Began to change a little bit from marked by failure, but there was yet more. It wasn't too long after that that I sensed, oh my goodness, I think God's calling me into vocational ministry. But as soon as you take a step for God, let me tell you what, you'll remember or Satan will remind you every single hideous or abusive things you ever did to anyone else. There's no way I'm going to Bible college and there's no way I'm gonna be a preacher, teacher, or whatever, because I am marked by failure. That's how I saw my life. But there was another, Barnabas. Her name wasn't Barnabas, her name was Pam. She goes, I believe in you. You can do this. You're marked by grace. She knew how screwed up I was, and she said that that is a sign of grace, that God would use her to speak to me. So in Bible college, it's great. It's so I'm so excited. I'm going to learn everything I need to learn and be all smart and stuff. Pretty apparent that didn't work out well. But anyhow, a very painful experience, because I'm in Bible college. I'm also on staff at a church, and it was so horrific at that point, it's marked by hashtag not going down this road, no way. It's too painful. Way too painful. Later in life, I met another Barnabas, but his name wasn't Barnabas, his name was Jim. And Jim actually kind of sponsored me into ministry, kind of like, Barnabas spoke on behalf of Paul to be accepted with the higher-ups in the early church. And what Jim used to tell me, I would argue with him, but you don't know what I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. And he said, Tom, you're not marked by that stuff. You're marked by grace. And so I've had numerous Barnabases, which I guess the proper term would be Barnabai. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not too sure. And in my life, who helped me move forward with Jesus, and now, and you're stuck with me until the Lord finds you another pastor. Oh, Lord, bring him, bring him quick. Let's go. Okay. Anyhow, so that was over 25 years ago. And I'm so thankful for God's grace, so thankful for it. But I have to be honest with you. Sometimes we need to see Jesus with skin on. And so the men and women that encouraged me, that was as though Jesus was right there. And so 
Um, speaking of a new pastor and God's answering our prayers, and I know things are going to happen and we're all going to rejoice, I challenge you in the name of the Lord, every one of you, be Barnabas to whomever it is that God appoints to this assignment. Because your encouragement, your prayers, your support, your love, your embrace will actually lift and carry whoever that person might be. Your role in the transition and the future of this church is huge. And God may not accomplish all he wants to if we don't all step into being Barnabai. Say Barnabai with me. Barnabai! We made up a word today. That's so fun. Okay, would you bow your heads with me? Worship team, if you'd return. And, and I think we have a couple of prayer members who are going to make their way uh, to pray. Um, well, Heavenly Father, thank you um, for the, the kindness and grace uh, of this congregation. Uh, they return and listen and um, respond and interact with you, Lord. I, I thank you for their love and their goodness towards Pam and I, uh, towards you, Lord, towards the work that you want to do uh, in our lives. Father, I can't help but believe uh, with all certainty. This isn't a guess, but I believe with all certainty that there are men and women in this place who carry a label, a hashtag, that is... A, degrading, um, discouraging, um, it's detrimental, it's harmful. With, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and with everyone just kind of remaining in a prayerful posture, I'm not going to ask you to speak your label out loud, but if you're one who is here today that really would love to exchange whatever your label is. For a label that says marked by grace. If you're here today and you carry a label that someone placed upon you or you put it upon yourself, I don't know and I don't really care, but you want to exchange that for the powerful label that says marked by grace. Raise your hands right now. Just lift them up, hold them up. There's others. It's the time to be honest and transparent before the Lord. God bless you. The Lord bless you. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands down. Thank you for being transparent before the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, men and women all across this room, even on this platform, there are labels that we carry um, that we would ask to exchange for the label that says marked by grace. We good people make poor choices. We're all part of that family. Lord God, I pray that there would be a move of your Holy Spirit that would melt us under the beauty and the weight of your grace. Melt hardened hearts away, Lord. Melt away shame. Melt away those disgusting labels that we've carried for so long. 
help us to walk graciously, but proudly under a label that says marked by grace. And in that, Lord God, I pray that you would make us to be Barnabas type of people, encouraging, uplifting, complimenting, helping, supporting. Father, you use all kinds, undoubtedly. But when I think of the fact that had Barnabas not spoken up on behalf, number one, of Paul, number two, John Mark, the early church may not have been what you created it to be. Make the present day church something supernatural, lovely, wholesome, safe, as we all are marked by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.